In this episode, we continue to look at real-life examples of bad therapy and provide our thoughts on them. My name is Justin Sinceri. And I am Mercedes Corona. We are licensed marriage and family therapists obsessed with learning about and applying the polyvagal theory. Welcome to episode 21 of the Polyvagal Podcast. We are continuing to talk about uh, real-life examples of bad therapy. Please put yourself first. Some of this stuff is potentially triggering. Uh, We talked last time about how this is traumatizing or re-traumatizing so be very sensitive to kind of where you're at feel free to take a break if you need to we attempt to keep every episode as safe as we can but you know just by the nature of this that um, some stuff may come up for you so take a break take a walk do some deep breathing extend your exhale sing make eye contact get some water do whatever you have to do and come back when you're ready and one final note before we get rolling here that some of these are edited We were reluctant to edit any of these just because we wanted to honor the stories of the people that submitted them, but we also want to be aware that on the podcast, um, we want to keep us as safe an experience as possible. So that means that we're going to edit out some of the potentially more triggering stuff. On top of it, one of the codes we kind of follow as therapists is not to give away information that's identifying. And even though on the podcast, we are therapists, but we are not providing therapy, it's still um, some of the specific stories that we have on today. There are some very specific details that are not just possibly triggering, but possibly easily identifiable for people. Leaving in the essence, you know, the message of the of the submission. All right, Mercedes, take us away with the first one. Okay, so the first one we have is... As follows, I had a therapist who continually took 10 to 20 minutes of the time to talk about his adventures in other countries to entice me, thinking I was depressed, which I wasn't. I just couldn't do stuff due to chronic illness. Should we stop right there? Because this one, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I I hate doing that. You know, I hate interrupting. Mm -hmm. But should we stop there? Because there's two more therapists that the same person talks about. Two more therapists. So let's just touch upon that real quick. Is that okay? Sure. The issue here, well, one of the issues here, there's a couple of them, I think, is the issue of mental health versus chronic illness. And as we know, they can be interrelated, sure, but it sounds like this therapist did not do a great job of understanding where the client was coming from. Would you say so? Yeah. So the therapist was coming from a place of mental health, of thinking they were depressed, and I love that the person who submitted this was just said which I wasn't, I just couldn't do stuff due to chronic illness. So being chronically ill may mean that you're doing less than the next person. That may mean that you're more bedridden than the next person. Right. Being chronically ill may mean that you can't just go out like anybody else would. That just that alone sounds like depression. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The chronic illness, and it wasn't specified and that's fine. But chronic illness can look like depression if you're just identifying the symptoms without saying, you know, here's my medical diagnosis. It, honestly, though, either way, for me, this is, it's kind of a weird thing. It, it, and I don't know if it's how it's written, but it's kind of a weird thing for me to hear that the therapist was trying to entice me with these stories of my adventures what's what's the end goal here for the th- on the on the part of the therapist like i climbed mount kilimanjaro so stop being depressed or stop being sick it it doesn't 
it doesn't connect for me. I don't get what the point was. I think it was it was like, look, life is so great outside of the home. Wouldn't you like to be a part of this? This is what I did. This is the adventures that I had. Wouldn't you like to do the same thing? Not like go with me as a therapist, but don't you right. want to get out of your house and do the same sort of thing? That's the way I'm hearing this. But he missed the mark. And I, actually, I want to... Definitely. There's another parallel... Pro, I love parallel processes. There is a parallel process here happening, potentially, based on what me, based Justin. on what we know, okay? Tell me what it is. Someone with chronic illness, depending on the illness, it, it you, you won't you would never know. You can't tell just by That's true. just by sight or or even from like, you know, if you, if you know them well, if you know them at work and then later on you learn they have a chronic illness, it's very common for people to say I never would have guessed or you don't look you don't look sick. So there's a parallel process where the therapist is not getting that. Like they're, they're not seeing that they're not seeing the chronic illness, just like a coworker might. So the therapist is paralleling what this person may, or what I think people with some chronic illnesses experience on a regular basis. This, this therapist is actually paralleling that experience. He's ignoring the fact that, or not aware of the fact that this person's chronically ill and instead focusing on, wouldn't you just like to get out of the house and isn't life so wonderful? And it's like, no, no, dude, you're, you're missing. There's like a hidden illness here. And I, I, I can only assume that the client had said something about that. It should have been asked, at least in the initial intake, the initial assessment about medical issues. So I can only assume that the therapist was competent enough to ask and that this client would have said yes. So I'm assuming... But I, I mean, I don't know. Well, and all of that, everything that you just said to me, what it adds up to is is this impression for myself that whatever is happening with the client, the therapist sounds, just based on the information we have, sounds like he's so not focused on the client, kind of involved with himself, that he wasn't paying attention, basically. He wasn't giving enough attention to the client. So whether it's I want to share my cool, awesome stories about my adventures, or I didn't bother to ask about any medical issues, or I'm misinterpreting your symptoms as depression. Any of that, to me, is a lack of of being tuned into being present for the client. Yeah. So and I, don't, I don't know what this client needed, but they may have just wanted someone to talk to and not to solve the problem. And this therapist was making the mistake of trying to solve the problem by going based off of their own life experience. When I travel, I feel great. Why don't you try the same thing? That's that's a complete mismatch. That is not necessarily helpful whatsoever. Okay, continuing. Another therapist was highly afraid of me telling my story and took a good three sessions trying to steer me away so she didn't have to face that. And my last one, where I went for trauma therapy, decided after five sessions, in which we had only explored but hadn't really gotten into the trauma therapy at all yet, that I was okay to just come whenever something popped up. So she suggested every four to five weeks or so. She was done, while we hadn't even started yet. She also was disassociating whenever I brought up emotions. She'd never ask about them, and once left me hanging, didn't re-regulate, and send me, sent me out in the streets in pure triggered and hyper-arousal state. Just perfect. With an angry emoji face. Yes. That's an angry one, yeah. There's a lot there, but between therapist two and three that were were shared here with us, they both were avoiding talking about trauma in the outline I put. I put, how is this real life? (laughs) Like how, 
this is therapy. We yes. trauma is underneath. I swear, almost everyone I've ever met with, it like really some is. level of trauma or unhealthy attachment, which I think is trauma, or um, actually, you know, like acute uh, free state trauma or abuse history trauma. Like it's everywhere. It's underneath everything I've ever worked in. I think agreed for me too. How is how how does this sadly sadly this one person stumbles upon two therapists that are avoiding it? I don't. That's what. That's kind of a big deal, I think, in therapy. So therapeers, you need to get comfortable with trauma like super quick. It's there. Super quick. It's kind of a big deal. It kind of affects people's lives. It's kind of a big reason why they enter therapy. Therapy is, it is a hard profession. It it really is. And sometimes I think I've heard people say, I, I don't know, I'm too far into the world to really know what people say about like how people see therapy anymore. But therapy is a difficult profession. We in a literal way, sometimes have to deal with life or death situations. We have to deal with some of the worst things that humanity has to offer. And I don't mean, I'm not saying that to be dramatic, but things, things like trauma, things like abuse, you know, poor parenting even, which sounds kind of minor compared to abuse, but therapists, we, we take on all of that. We, we take on all of this stuff and we create a safe place for the people to work through this stuff to help them walk out the door feeling a tiny bit safer or a tiny bit lighter or a tiny bit better. This is what you signed up for. And I know I ranted about this last last episode, but it really is my issue. I know what I signed up for when I when I went to therapy school. This is not easy. And at any point along the way when I was like, whoa, you know, taking my courses and going through my my, you know, my classes there's some heavy stuff. And there was a couple times where I had to check myself and say, wait a minute, do do I know what I'm doing here? You know, this is what I'm getting into. But yes, I kept I kept going. I decided this is what I want to do. I'm shocked. I'm not angry. I'm shocked, though, that like it's this is what we do. It is what we've we already do. we've already said it. So we'll, we'll move on. Yes. Let's break down. There's a couple things I think we should break down a little bit further. So the second therapist here, it's interesting that she said that the second therapist was highly afraid of me telling my story and took a good three sessions trying to steer me away from it so she didn't have to face that. That's cr- That's nuts. That's really interesting. And it saddens me that someone comes in ready to talk about what they've been through and they're not getting someone who's ready to listen. It's, just, it's very upsetting. And not just that, but giving off cues to indicate, I am scared of what you're about to say. And let's do something else, you know, actively steering right. away. So in polyvagal terms, a therapist providing cues of danger, the client's going to pick that up. And of course, they're not going to be in their safe and social state anymore. And they're going to want to get out of there. And uh, sadly, that, that that's going to be the association with therapy is that it's a scary, unsettling experience. And now my trauma, and I don't know what the trauma is, but now my trauma is affecting somebody else in a negative way. And that's going to further reinforce the stories that they have about themselves potentially. So if you walk into therapy thinking that you're worthless or that you cause people pain or um, that you're defective in some way, I don't know. And then you say, I'm ready to talk. And someone gives you this cue of, no, I'm not. I don't want to hear that. I'm not ready for that. Or I'm scared of that. All it does is reinforce all those stories and all those beliefs so exactly. like again re-traumatizing is extremely accurate sadly so after the last one f- after five sessions 
which they had only kind of touched upon the therapy or the trauma, mm-hmm. it sounds like. They hadn't gotten into it very much. That it was okay to come in whenever something popped up. I don't, that's not a, an appropriate therapeutic intervention uh, or spacing or timeline. I will space out my sessions when we're getting close to ending therapy. I will say, let's, you, you're doing really, you're in a good spot right now. You know, when you come in here, we're doing more of this sort of check-in thing. Let's space this out to every two weeks or whatever we need to do every four weeks is fine. Um, and we'll, you know, we'll meet in four weeks for 30 minutes just to kind of check in, see how you're doing. And then we'll taper it off after that. So extending things that long is usually a, de- a decision that's made with the client, not for the client, with the client about what is best for treatment. And so it sounds like this therapist just decided that. And it doesn't sound like it was a very good decision based on what the client here is saying or what the submission here says. She said they were done even though they hadn't even started yet. I mean, this is a client and a therapist that are on way different pages. They're on different chapters. Yeah. They're in different books. They're so far apart here and that's not therapy. That is the opposite, I think. Almost the opposite of therapy. And again, I think it's another example of the of the the therapist instead of focusing on the needs of the client, which is what a therapist is there to do, focusing on their own needs. Because if there was a strong enough connection, some attunement, any of that, the the therapist would have seen the client's cues of I'm I'm not done. I see that you're done, but I'm not done. I you know, I have more to say, I have more to talk about. For me it's just another example of a therapist not being present enough with the client, not giving the focus to the client, instead keeping the focus on themselves to some extent. There's a lot here to go into. I don't mind it because I think it's all really important. But this therapist obviously was not asking, how are we doing? How's therapy going? How's the course of therapy happening for you? Like, how are you feeling about this stuff? Where are we at? None of these questions, it sounds like, came up. And I don't know what was being done with the time, but it sounded like there wasn't like they work. It doesn't sound like the therapist was working with this person. They were working at or to this person, not with. And therapy is a with. It's a relationship with thing. So the last piece here that we really need to touch on is that the therapist was dissociating whenever she brought up emotions. And that's really vague. So that's interesting. So therapist, we have to get our own work done. If we have to do it, we got to do it. We have to be able to be, be present. We have to be able to stay in our safe and social system. We have to. So Because if we're not, we're just reinforcing the trauma. We have to be able to stay in our safe and social system. We have to. And then she said even once that the therapist left her hanging. So somehow through all this, the client still was able to open up and allow some emotion out. Somehow wanted help enough to go back and left them hanging, didn't re-regulate and sent and the way she said it, or he, I don't, I don't know who it was. The way they said it was, sent me out in the streets. Like just sent me out in the wild. You know, I, like mm-hmm. I was in danger mode. They just sent me out in the wild in a pure, triggered, and hyper-arousal state. That's not something the therapist should be missing. That's pretty obvious. That's super obvious. And it's another thing I distinctly remember learning when I was going to school to become a therapist. Specifically, the teacher saying, this is one of the most important steps you will ever do as a therapist, is, is you start the session, you have to end the session. And ending the session includes, like, you've opened all the stuff up, you've put out all the rawness, all the baggage you've unpacked it now you got to pack it back in and zip it back up and and put it back into a safe place before you send these people on their way because they cannot go back out into the world all opened up and raw 
and then just like experience life because life is rough sometimes. And so they're open and raw and then they're out there experiencing things and everything is exacerbated because they're, you know, already vulnerable and raw. No, that's that's the opposite of what we are taught to do. Therapy, it is, you know, I think you're right. Like I'm not going to put us on a pedestal, but like there, there is complex. We have to be able to manage our own internal states. We have to be able to manage the relationship in the room, which is extremely important. We also have to manage things like time as well as like billing and all the other stuff I know, but time and being aware that if there's 10 minutes left and someone's emotional or in a hypervigilant state or whatever, like we really should be winding things down and doing some grounding skills or whatever, or that we shouldn't even be going that far into the trauma story unless we're prepared for that, to be able to handle that. Yep. Kills me, Mercedes. Um, yep. You know, like we work with kids that go back to school. They leave our session and go to class. Exactly. So I have to be darn sure that when I'm meeting with a kid that they're able to go back to class and actually engage and learn and be safe. That everything you've unpacked, you you repack again and tie it with a bow and make it nice so that they can go back and, and do all the things they have to do. Yeah. There's a lot to that. There's a, there's a lot to this one. And it sounds like 0 for 3, honestly. This is three different therapists. Yeah. That's sad. And it sounds like mostly 0 for 3 here. It's, that is... Uh, very depressing. Yeah. Disappointing. Can I go it's... off on a tangent real quick? Yeah, of course. It's related. Of course. Because <laughs> you said it, and I and I'm, I want to rewind a little bit back to something I said, because you said a minute ago, you don't want to put us on a pedestal therapist. And I agree with that. And so I just want to be clear with our listeners. When I say things like, you know, being a therapist is difficult, being a therapist is hard, it is. But I want to be clear. I don't think that we're above anybody either. Oh, I no, think no. this is... Our chosen career, this is, for me, it was a calling, you know, and I signed up and I did it. But there are so many, so many other careers out there that I think are equal and or more important than what we do. So I just want to be clear about that. Therapists are not on on a pedestal at all. And I think part of what we're doing here with the Bad Therapy series is is bringing us back down to a place where, well, not back down because we shouldn't be up there anyway. Right. But, no, it is back but down. But helping people see, well, yeah. It is okay. back down because we're so we're helping s- people see that. Sorry. No, go ahead. We are so elevated right now. Our profession is is absurdly elevated, in my opinion. And you know, uh, we're not all of us are earning it, but it's absurdly elevated. Mental health is so put on a pedestal right now, which it should be like it's important. But you know, like talk to people. It's okay to talk to people. Share it. Don't keep it in. And so, you know, like we have this, therapists have a status that we should be taking very, very seriously, I think. I like how you said it before. I don't know that everybody's earned that. And I'd like to think that I've earned it, but I don't mean that I've earned to be up on a pedestal. I'd like to believe that I've earned the status of being a good therapist. And at the same time, one of the things I do is that I keep it real with my clients. And I say, look, I am not above you in any single way. We are equal in this relationship because I am, quote unquote, the expert in in the theories and the psychology of it all. But my client is the expert on themselves. And together, that's how we're going to get them to get where they need to be, where they want to be. I am not any better or any higher of a level than my client is in, in the therapeutic relationship. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the re- one of the things that makes me a great therapist is that I recognize that. And I don't want to be put up on a pedestal. Yeah, therapy is a joining. It's not something that happens to somebody. It's really, honestly, I think it can be a very special relationship that 
Like it really, it really should be this relationship that's very equal and and uh, but you know it is kind of one sided, of course. But um, it's a relationship where you have someone that should be, for the most part, purely listening to you and understanding and validating, and you don't get that anywhere else. So it should be, it should be like this. That's what it's fantastic to be. experience and like yeah i want yeah. this to be a profession that people admire but just graduating and doing it that doesn't earn admiration we have to be earning the, the admiration and you know i don't know if that's happening so let's go to the next one okay off the tangent back onto the outline so our next submission goes as follows I didn't have many individual sessions with her, but she regularly forgot major life events, traumatic experiences I had, making me repeat like really deep wounds in an attempt to get her to understand, much less remember. She never took notes, and after three to four sessions said that I just couldn't let things go and wanted to try EMDR to move things along quicker. Without my consent, mind you, she just started doing the hand movements after forcing me to tell a random trauma story and then explained what she did when she was done. A lot there. There's a lot here. My immediate thought, and that's, I'm not looking at our outline right now. It just feels so disrespectful to jump into Mm. something. I'm talking about the EMDR here. Jump into something without first getting the consent of your client or even informing them of it. Like, hey, I'm about to do something. It's going to be different. Here's what I'm doing it for. Here's the intention of it and the purpose of it. She just jumps into it. And does it because she knows better or whatever. And that it just feels really disrespectful to me. Again, like what we were just talking about. It's about joining with the client. It's about you, the therapist and the client being a team working together. And this is completely one-sided on the on the part of the therapist. I don't even want to call it therapy, but we will just because of the context. This is an example of therapy, hap- of therapy happening to somebody. This, yes. It literally happened to her. It wasn't even a part of the prior discussion because she says, without my consent, EMDR happened to her without her consent. That's that's not... We, we talked about Mm-mm. informed consent in the basics of therapy for clients. This should have been discussed in session one. This may have been... This should have been like on the therapist's website. This should have been discussed in the phone call even potentially, I think. Like, if you do EMDR, this should be discussed. I mean, any modality that you're doing should be discussed, right? I love how she said she just started doing the hand movements. Mm -hmm. After forcing me to tell a random, forcing me, the word forcing me. I know, that, that word triggers me. Yeah, forcing me to tell a random trauma story and then explain what she did when she was done. So that's, there's a few issues. There's a few issues here. So first thing is like EMDR is more than just the hand hand and finger stuff. Or it's more than the bilateral stimulation. There's more going on. So this person saying I'm doing EMDR, it doesn't sound like they did EMDR. They did some sort of hand movement. But that's not EMDR. That's part of EMDR. She didn't quite do EMDR. When she did this hand movement thing and then, and then couched it and said, what I did was this evidence-based thing called the EMDR. No, you didn't. You moved your hand around. And you compelled, you you coerced, you forced someone into telling, you re-traumatized somebody. You, you, you forced them into telling their story when they didn't consent to it. That is, mm-hmm. this is the essence of trauma. This is, I mean, my God. It really is. I don't even know what the trauma story is, but like, think about it. And the way she worded it, this could be another parallel process. I didn't ask for this thing to happen. She did it and to it's me. Happening. Yeah. She did it yeah. to me without my consent. I don't know what the trauma story is. 
there's a potential parallel process here that is extremely uncomfortable and, dis- and uh, disconcerting here. This is not EMDR. I wouldn't call it that. This is not therapy. It's not Therapy doesn't mm-hmm. happen to somebody. It happens with somebody. And we don't just do stuff and then explain it afterwards. There's informed consent. We should be talking about the, the process of therapy every step of the way. Not just at the beginning, but like every step of the way. And that was not happening. Apparently it was not happening. You, you cannot just do stuff. You're like, I know you're licensed and, you, and you've graduated. Like, good for you. But you don't get to just do whatever comes to your mind. That's not the way this works. This is the pedestal thing again. Like, you think you're up here. You, the therapist, think you're up here and can just do whatever at the client, to the client, and and you can't. You just can't. That's not what we do. I'm going back and 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 looking back at the from the beginning of the story, and the whole thing just feels. The word that keeps coming to mind is impatient. This therapist sounds, feels impatient to me, and. If I'm a client and I'm sitting in the room and all I get from you is, okay, come on, hurry up, let's get through this. That's not safe. That's not going to make me want to work through my trauma when I'm being actively re-traumatized in the moment. It's just so, again, I go to disrespectful. It feels so disrespectful that the she says, she or he or they, the client says, she regularly forgot major life events and traumatic experiences didn't take notes. Now, you don't have to take notes if you're a therapist. That's you know, fine. You know, I, I typically don't. I know some that some that do and some that I do, but because it's, you know, it's something that helps me remember precisely what this person is talking about. And that to me is, again, like, what are you doing in the room as a therapist? If you can't even bother to remember, like, not even the details, though, like major life events that this client has told you about and traumatic experiences. What is happening? I have this... Um Again, parallel process thing in my mind. Like, switch some of the words out here. She regularly forgot major life events. I'm thinking about a parent that forgets about their kid graduating and doesn't go, which happens. That happens. The kids I work with, not everyone shows up to their graduation. Forgets traumatic experiences they had. Think about, and I'm sure with you, Mercedes, think about, you know, kids that have shared their, that they were traumatized. They were abused by somebody. They told their parents and they weren't believed or the parent brushed it under the rug and didn't take it seriously. Parallel process. There's a therapist here who's apparently not taking it very seriously. Um, potentially a parallel process. But this is someone who it is... my heart. I know. Well, and so the next thing is that the, the therapist said that the client just couldn't let things go. I hear clients say this a lot. Like they say they want to let things go and I get that. But really, like, what does that mean? I don't get... I don't, I don't understand anymore what let it go means. Um, but I know like on the client side, I think they're, they want to say, I want to get past this. I want to move on. Um, I think it can mean a lot of things, but basically they don't want to deal with it anymore or they want to be done with it and let it go. Like I, I kind of get that. But for a therapist to say, let it go, I don't understand. I don't understand what that's about. I've never told the client to let something go. I, I don't. That's not therapy. It's the equivalent of the therapist saying, just stop it. Yeah, it is. Like, hi, therapist, I'm here. I want to work on my feelings. I want to feel better. I'm being, you know, I've been depressed. And the therapist says, nope, just stop feeling that way. Mm-hmm. It it just doesn't work like and, that. And again, a child who speaks up about being abused and the parent says, just stop. You're, you're, right. you're, you're making it up. Stop. Just stop. Saying let it go, I don't know what that means in general. I think I know what clients mean when they say it. But a therapist saying let things 
go or let it go. That's not therapy. Anybody can say let it go. Your friends, if this person went to their friend, they might say, yeah, just let it go and move on. That's, so if a friend can say it, a therapist shouldn't be saying it. If someone else can do that, if somebody else can provide that service, then you're not doing therapy. Therapy is a different experience than anybody else can provide. So saying let things go is not a therapeutic intervention. I, that's, that's no part of any schooling I've had. That is no part of any training I've ever been, ever been to. Let things go has never been something that has been taught to me on any level or modeled. No supervisor has ever recommended that. This is not therapy. That is not a therapeutic intervention. Next story. Next story. Uh, in this story, we changed the name of the therapist and edited some of the content out. I have a horrible few stories of bad therapists, but they aren't funny at all. I have PTSD. Jane listened to me talk. Jane, the therapist, listened to me talk with eyes glazed over and then prescribed medications the first time and asked about my coping mechanisms and stated that what I had been through was extreme and I would likely never get over it. Basically to suck it up and take pills to numb it for the rest of my life. The second time I saw Jane, we spoke about a new traumatic event, at which point she prescribed me even more medications and scheduled a third appointment. At the third appointment, after only seeing me three times, had me on five medications and told me that I had healthy coping mechanisms, such as journaling, meditation, and exercise slash yoga, and she would no longer be seeing me. I've never gotten over any of it. I've just learned ways around the debilitating anxiety and I'm afraid to try therapy again. I don't blame her. Mm-hmm. I don't blame her. So this sounds like it was a psychiatrist who was doing therapy, which is not super common, I don't think. Um, psychiatrists more and more, I believe, are... I read an article on this recently. Uh, and the, the amount of psychiatrists doing therapy has uh, dropped significantly uh, recently. I don't know what time span, but recently-ish. We'll say that. So I think a therapist has to be present for the client, especially at the first session. I mean, obviously all the time, but that first session is is the first time, you know, someone has called you up, made an appointment. Usually there's a lot of anxiety and a lot of nerves surrounding the first session. And so for me, like in my opinion, that's the time that a therapist, like I don't want to say that the therapist puts on a show, but you are very warm and very welcoming on the first session because they are extra vulnerable and extra anxious and extra tense and stressed out about it because they're not used to this. It's the first time you're a new person. Even if they've had experiences with therapy in the past, you're you're brand new to them. I like how you put hopefully Jane was a psychiatrist and not a therapist. <laughs> <laughs> she probably was a psychiatrist. Just for anyone who needs it, a psychiatrist is somebody who holds a medical degree as well as has training as a therapist. Obviously, the role of a psychiatrist and a therapist are different, but the psychiatrist was attempting to provide therapy. And one of the concerns I have here is that they were told they would likely never get over it. And this is something that I have seen um, colleagues in the past say to clients or talk about in treatment team meetings is that these conditions or these behaviors or disorders or whatever you want to call them are going to be lifelong and that they might be dealing with this stuff lifelong, but um, how, we can't know that. There's just no way we can know that. We, we cannot predict the future. And I don't know what the person went to therapy for, but a lot of this stuff can be helped. It, we, based on polyvagal theory, we know it's not just like you're born this way. 
that there there's a, probably a state you're stuck in, a trauma you've been through with some like sympathetic energy, some free state stuff going on, or shutdown. Like there's something going on, and it's a matter of being stuck. It's not an issue of a lifelong condition necessarily, not necessarily. But telling a client that they would likely never get over it, like I have to ask, then why are you even why are you even trying to do therapy? If you don't think that they can get over it, what's the point of, of meeting for therapy? Like if that's your belief that this is these are lifelong conditions that people will just have to deal with and not get over, what, what are you doing? Like what's the point? Um, I, I fully believe that people, that my clients can do better and that it's within their power and that my job is to be a safe, positive person for them and everything that goes along with being a therapist. But I fully believe people can make steps forward. I don't, I've never had a client where I feel like this is a lifelong condition. Not one. And I don't, I refuse, honestly, I refuse to get to that point because that's ridiculous. Like I, that, to me, that's like losing hope, but we can, we cannot predict the future. How can, I don't understand how someone could have such a horrible prognosis for their client. Like you, that this therapist, well, the psychiatrist was expecting, expecting low. They had low expectations. That is like off the bat. Like you're just, you're off. That's that you can't be, that can't be your starting point. You know, you have to have, we have to have high expectations for our clients. All right. So what happened here? There was only three sessions. So only three sessions. So Jane, the therapist said, well, okay. So the submission says at the third appointment, after only seeing me three times, Jane, the therapist slash possible psychiatrist had me on five medications and basically said, you're good to go. Um, I, after three sessions, that's, that's not really necessarily therapy unless the person's doing better and i've had clients where it's a really rapid wind up but uh or you know therapy ends pretty rapidly but like this doesn't sound like this was the case um this that sounds like to me some irresponsible client care Definitely. and treatment planning um you know what, what about the continuity of medication treatment we don't know what happened with that hopefully things worked out I five know. medications and then you can't you're out the door that it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't fit for me yeah, so hopefully there was a backup plan for that um, or someone that could take over that. But um, it sounds like this person needed some therapy and was willing to be a part of it, and it just got cut off for some reason. So if this psychiatrist is not able to be helpful, then they need to refer them to someone who can help. And maybe it's another psychiatrist, maybe it's a therapist, maybe it's an LC, LCW, I don't care. If, but they have to refer to someone who's competent enough to be able to help out when it comes to trauma and even new trauma. Um, and it sounds like none of this stuff happened. Well, and I think the worst part for me is is the last part of it that this person submitted. I've never gotten over it. That That's painful to me that this person had this experience with this therapist slash psychiatrist and, and said, I've just learned ways around the, debil- excuse me, the debilitating anxiety and afraid to try therapy again. Therapy is supposed to be helpful. And this person reached out to the therapist for help. And it turned out so terribly. Here's five medications. You're good to go because you know how to do yoga and journaling. And, and ha- this person hasn't gotten over it. And that's painful to me because, goodness gracious, yeah. one of our colleagues out there did this. One of our colleagues was supposed to be oh, helping yeah. this person. I thought you, you know, meant one of I our mean, coworkers like, oh, who was it? No, no, no. <laughs> no, but like what, you know, someone in our world, someone who yeah, right. represents the field that we are in did this and i it's painful to me for this person for the client it's painful to me as a therapist in the field it's a new trauma for this person it's re-traumatizing the whole event 
of of therapy this whole experience of therapy is now either a new trauma or a re-traumatization of the old trauma mm-hmm. and that's horrifying and now they're avoiding therapy right and now they're avoiding is that what therapy. i said they're avoiding therapy I've no, well, they yeah. said that I've never, I've never gotten over it. Afraid, afraid to try yeah. therapy again. So they're not that they're avoiding it. Yeah, well, I get it. Yeah, like they. It sounds Absolutely. like they're interested in it, but they're afraid now because. But it feels scary because this is this is what they're gonna they're gonna throw meds at me, and tell me that because I know how to journal and meditate and do yoga that I'm fine, and that's not that's not enough. I think it's a good takeaway though is that these are our peers and our colleagues. Um doing these things these bad therapy practices and I, I really want people to know that it's not all of us there are good therapists out there and i'm so appreciative when people share their good therapy anecdotes with yes. us it's like oh it's like a, it's like a breath of fresh air and it's really needed but um i really want people to know that there are good therapists out there it, you may not hit it on the first second or even apparently the third attempt and he, like even me like I, i've attempted i've tried a few different therapists mostly just to kind of feel it out and to be on the other end of things. And there's a couple things I wanted to work on, but one of them I didn't care for at all. The other one, no. And the third one was actually pretty cool. So two out of three were a miss for me. All of them very brief therapy. Um, two out of three of them it was brief because they were just where I felt incompetent. The third one was brief because they were effective and they listened. We made a plan. Um, that it worked for me to be held accountable to somebody to meet my goals. So like she was exactly what I needed for that moment. And it was great. The other two were just not even close. So there are good therapists out there. Please believe us, <laughs> please. I know. Don't, don't give up on I us. Know. I hope, th- I hope these aren't scaring people away from therapy. I'm, I'm hoping that these wake people up to like what they're going through. If, if they're going through stuff like this, I'm hoping that they, back out of it or speak up about it. And I'm hoping that people entering therapy have a clearer mind of what it should be like and run the heck away if it's not like that or if it's like grotesquely bad like we've been sharing. That's my hope. And it's not to like scare people out of therapy in general because I know it's helpful. Like I know it can be helpful if you have the right or a competent relationship. That's that's I hope people are taking that away from this. That's that's what I hope as well. I I hope that this is helping people to assert themselves, which is a difficult thing to do when you're seeking therapy, I think. Again, because therapists have this like place on the pedestal thing, but we don't, you guys. Like we don't. We I mean, we have the education and et cetera, et cetera, but we're just regular peeps and we're we're trying to help out other peeps. And that's what it is. And so, yeah, so my hope is, is that this helps people to be more assertive about their own needs and definitely just more educated about what this is supposed to look like, what the intention is. And I'm hopeful that when people listen to you and I, Justin, that hopefully we are two examples of good therapists. We'll we'll stop there. Is that good? It seems like enough. Okay. Although, you know what I was thinking is I haven't given my bad therapy stories. Oh, do you want to right now or do you want to save it? I can do it real quick. Bust it out. Another similarity between you and I, another parallel. I have also had three tries with therapists of my own that I've been to. And I got a one out of three percentage as well. Oh, no kidding. Interesting, huh? 
So the first one, so I'm going to give my bad therapy story just because I think I think when we hyped it up, we said (laughs) (laughs) no, but I I was remembering when we hyped up the whole bad therapy series, we said that we would talk about our own experiences. So I'll just throw mine out there, too. So I saw the psychologist. It was our first session and she had this. I just remember this enormous room. Her office was this enormous room. It felt just gargantuan. She she welcomes me in, but I'm doing it in air quotes because she says, come in, but turns her back to me and walks all the way across the room, which, as I said, is gargantuan. And when she co- she kind of indicated for me where to sit and it was close to the door. So I sat and just watched her walk across the room and then walk all the way back. She had gone to get herself a jar of peanut butter <laughs> and a spoon. Yes, this is a true that story. That is not folks. what I expected at all. A jar of peanut. What did you expect? <laughs> I thought she was gonna like leave you sitting at a little chair for the client, and then she'd be like behind her enormous desk, like on the other side of the room. No. <laughs> oh, that was another thing. It was just cluttered everywhere. Oh, like it, I couldn't even see her desk because it was underneath books and piles of papers. And anyway, so so she walks all the way there, comes all the way back, and I'm like, what? What was so important? Because her chair was like right in front of mine. Jar of peanut butter. And a spoon. And she goes to town, Justin. <laughs> but before before she goes to town, she takes off her shoes. And oh she's my god. Barefoot, wow. And she curls up her feet on the on the chair. Like she sits on her feet, you know, on the chair and digs in with the no. spoon. Like just goes at at the jar of peanut butter. She's like, So No. What are you here for? Pass. What? <laughs> never went back. I never went back. Really? No, that was it. That That's was it. I couldn't. It just felt disrespectful i don't want to keep saying the same word through the whole podcast it just felt disrespect like it's my first time and you literally walked away from me as i was walking in the door literally and then you come back and like what have a snack like sure i get it if you're hungry but there was no like oh i'm sorry do you mind if i eat or i skipped lunch or even if that had happened that would have felt a little bit more appropriate but like just walks 10 miles and back to get the jar of peanut butter and a spoon and just i can't stand the smell of peanut butter i wouldn't that would have been hard for me. I couldn't. I couldn't. That combined with the bare feet, I don't know oh. why. <laughs> oh, peanut butter and barefoot smell? First session. If if we had had a relationship, I probably would have found it amusing. No relationship at all. I can see that. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we're going to ask you for a favor this week. Screenshot your phone right now and share it on social media. That's it. Uh, 70% of new podcast listeners do so because somebody else recommended it. The listeners of this podcast have been absolutely amazing through these kind of small actions. Um, So please just do a simple screenshot, share it to Instagram stories. It'll fit in there real nice and snugly. Uh, We're getting messages regularly from people that are finding some relief or some peace or normalization just by listening to this podcast. So please share it and know that you are directly helping to impact someone in a really positive way. We hope this episode has had a direct and positive impact on you as well. If you have a question about anything, feel free to reach out to one of us. We have our contact info in the description where you can also find a link to more detailed show notes. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. I don't know that I always hold my breath when I laugh. I think it's when you hold your breath, that's more of a, a symptom of being sympathetically aroused. Like, you know... It's not about holding the breath. That's just evidence that you're down the ladder. So it's being down the ladder. <laughs> Twice. You had to get a reaction? Is that? No, I, just, I was getting my own. <laughs>
my own pleasure out of it. Just the entertainment of it's, being amused on my own. I thought you were trying to like bug me. And that. <laughs> it's a ha- happy, happy coincidence. It's a happy coincidence. It's serendipity. <laughs>